Hey there, welcome to Art, Activism, and Adventure. My name is Michaela Demers, and today I'm sitting in a beautiful kitchen. It's gorgeous. Thank you. With Debashish Sinha. Deb is a music man and a sound guy. His work spans from music, sound art, audiovisual performance, theater, dance, and radiophonic art. His work is a creation based on his life as a second-generation Asian-Canadian, an internationally trained percussionist with an interest in electronic and electronic acoustic music, electroacoustic music, I yeah, guess. electroacoustic, yeah. So, okay, hey, Deb. Hi. How's it going? <laughs> Good. So I was writing this uh, intro, and I was like, what the hell is radiophonic art? Radiophonic art. It's kind of a genre of sound art that you... Uh, it's sound that is disseminated by radio. I okay. think that's kind of a, a really basic Definition. way of thinking about it. So... Is it you like taking radio sounds and then making something with no, it? No, it's me making a fixed piece that will be broadcast basically oh, okay, on okay, radio. Okay. And because it's radio, there's a certain... There are ways of thinking about how you organize the sound and how it's going to be played back and what it's being played back on, depending on what you're doing. I mean, some people use the sounds of radios to make radiophonic art, and right. then it gets broadcast on radio. Uh, I often make kind of abstract, I would say, radio plays in okay. a way. So working with text and sound to convey an idea or uh, a story mm -hmm. in a very loose sense. More like a poem, I guess. Right. So is like radiophonic art, like that's like, it's like an art piece. So it's almost like you were listening to a radio station, like yeah. similar to um, like an art gallery, but yeah. on the radio. Exactly. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It are is there very individual cool. channels for that? Or there are. That? There's a num there's a, there's a pretty robust scene in North America, not as highly developed as in Europe. As for most things, <laughs> many of the state radio stations for the different countries mm -hmm. have uh, have a program that's dedicated to radio art. Right. That's so, so cool. I yeah, have no idea that. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty great. So, like the CBC of Spain, for example, commissioned me to do a piece that they then played on that program that right. they have, which is you know usually kind of late at night or whatever, but they all, all the programmers for the different European um, programs kind of talk to each other. So through that, I met uh, the guy from Deutschland Radio Kultur, right. which is in Germany, and he asked me for a piece. And so there, it's it's kind of great. It's a pretty interesting way. And I, I, I love making those pieces because they're kind of like a great way for me to uh, combine and think about a lot of different ideas about sound and story and uh and the kinds of things I want to say mm -hmm. I guess yeah yeah I listen to um different radio plays mm -hmm. radio I yeah. don't know what they're called sure um and they can be so interesting because it's almost like a book in a way that mm -hmm. they kind of create the entire world mm -hmm. that you're in mm -hmm. my favorite one that I've ever listened to which is probably also kind of swayed because I haven't listened to a bunch of them but was Afghanida Oh, yeah. Did, did you listen to it? Yeah, I, was, I did. That was so good. Beautiful. So It was so a well really, done. really, really great uh, yeah. series, I thought. And I was just like totally sucked into that world and yeah. like was in love with all the characters. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty amazing. One of the writers, Hannah Moskowitz, is a, is a playwright and uh, I've scored a bunch of her plays and she's an amazing writer. Uh, not a bunch, two. I helped somebody uh, score two of her plays. Here in Toronto? Yeah. 
She's an incredible. Should go writer. see more of her stuff then. Yeah, there's a new one coming out called Bunny, but I think that's at Stratford. Okay. It'll, I'm sure. Road trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could do that too. And a reason to go. Yeah. Oh, cool. So, do you have any current? Pro- I know you always have a thousand things on the go. Do you have a current project going on? Yeah, lots of different things. I mean, there. I do a lot of um, sound design for theater, so there's a lot of plays in the pipeline. Working on one now. I'll be working on one as soon as that opens, and then I'll be at Stratford for most of the year, rest right. of the year, uh, doing a couple of big Shakespeare's and a beautiful play in the summer uh, that's based on the on the Enid, the Greek myth, mm-hmm. but uh, written by a, I think he lives in Montreal, but a French playwright of Arabic descent. His father fled Egypt, okay, and basically went through the kinds of things that we're seeing the refugees go through now, right? In Trying to, and trying to get to, to safety, now, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but it's an incredible script. It's it, there's no punctuation. Uh, every sentence is on a separate line. It's like a poem. Like reading this thing, it's mm-hmm. amazing. There's no stage directions. That's cool. You know, hardly actually, and there might be one or two, but hardly any. So it's just a completely blank canvas. Right. So that'll leave it really open for a director. Yeah. Super. Interesting. That's interesting too. How yeah. that can be a work of art in terms of like the physical script. Yeah. Looking at it. Yeah. And it's, then transferred to something else. It's very true. I mean, uh, the uh, I think not so many people do that. I mean, there's a certain format in a play and. Sometimes stage directions are there, or sounds, or lights, or whatever, and sometimes they're not. Mm-hmm. But uh, occasionally you come across a script like that, and it's just, it's terrifying. Yeah. Because it it's is. like, what? <laughs> but it's also beautiful. Like, mm-hmm. I just loved reading this thing. It was like reading this long poem. Yeah, really As like a non-theater person, I probably would have found it easier to read. I remember in university, mm-hmm. I took a course where we had to read. Yeah. Uh, scripts and I just thought it was so hard because yeah. I just I don't understand the rhythm of it yeah and so I, it took a while it took yeah. a number of different reading through of plays for me to be like oh okay yeah like, I think I see how it works but I feel like theater people must read it and just like yeah see it. Like, they my, must get it my sister is an actor and a writer and uh, she's uh, over the years we've looked at different scripts uh, and her muscle for that is amazing it's really incredible like We'll go through something and she'll say, oh, this is what's happening and that's how the writer is doing the thing. And I'm just like, wow, this is amazing. But when I read a script, it's kind of like... Uh, Choppy. Uh, and yeah, bad. I just like... I can get the story from it, but I don't see it all until I hear somebody else say it. Yeah. You know, I remember the first time in high school, we had to read The Tempest. Mm. That was the first play. Mm-hmm. And I read it and I was like, I have no clue what's happening. <laughs> what's going like, on? What the hell? I must be stupid. I was in grade 11. And then... This tells you how old I am. The teacher said, okay, so we've all read it. Here's a record. He took out an LP and he played, he played the, like a, a play, a, right. the, the play. And everything just went, oh, now I, this is hilarious. Like, cause it's quite a funny play. Yeah. And, and I totally got it. Once right. I heard other people say it and mm-hmm. interpret all that stuff. I still have trouble. I do plays all the time. Like yeah. I do 10 a year. Right. But but no <laughs> I still it's just like I think it's a good script or yeah. something or you know it's, right. it's a it's a it's a skill you have to learn I think yeah. yeah so in terms of plays how does that work do you get booked ahead of time or is it like mm-hmm. hey we're starting next week Can no we I mean sometimes that happens because you know uh, as with any 
field of the arts, funding is always a problem. Mm -hmm. So sometimes that happens. Like, next month we're doing this workshop. Can you do it? <clears throat> but usually it's uh, with a little more leeway because, you know, putting on a play, it's... It's Look, a big undertaking, time. right? Yeah. There's like a stage and there's lights and there's the designers and there's the script and the actors, right? So And even you like having to create the sound <clears throat> score or soundscape. Like, yeah. That doesn't happen overnight. No, it doesn't really. I mean it usually waits till rehearsal, but what happens is somebody will call me and say, you know, this is the these are the time this this is the time frame we're doing it in. <clears throat> I'll check my schedule, I'll read the script and if I like it and uh, or if I know the director and I know the people right away, I'll say yes if I have the time. If I don't know them or I don't really know the play, I'll check it out. And and then usually before rehearsals start, the director and I will get together and kind of talk a little bit about the sound world, some of the things we're thinking about. Uh, and maybe I'll make a couple of sketches, like audio things, or maybe I'll have something in my archives. That, mm -hmm. Hey, check this out. What do you think of this? And then rehearsal will start. And usually I leave the, and it's, you know, because again, funding in Toronto usually plays rehearse for about three weeks. Right. Now people are starting to go, okay, you know what? We need to workshop it and then we'll do our rehearsal. So okay. sometimes there's two bouts of rehearsal. Mm -hmm. So usually for the first week of proper rehearsal before the show, I leave the actors alone because they have a lot of work to do. Yeah. And then I start dropping in, checking out stuff. If there's some staging that is being sat or transitions or things where sound is useful, I'll start building. And I like to have most of the sound design done before we go into tech, before we go into the theater. Yeah. And then... I'm sure that makes it less stressful. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> I mean, I, it's it's been rare that I've been in, gone, gone into tech and not had the complete design done. Yeah. Pretty much. Mm -hmm. And then you just, you know, and then you do all the technical stuff, like what speakers are coming out of, how does the sound move around, what are the levels of stuff. And, right. And I don't even think about that kind of stuff. Yeah, well... I've had know. tech stuff like this that I just like... Yeah. Somebody else... Yeah, I mean, oftentimes, like in some theaters, like in Stratford, there will be techs to right. do it. Like, but that's because of it's a union thing. I usually do my own programming. Right. And uh, there's some really great show software that just helps you do all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Did that come, like that comes hand in hand with just being a musician and creating the kind of like range of work because you're not just like a guitarist or something somebody with one instrument but uh -huh. you do all these different mediums not always i think i would say not every musician has those those uh interests even mm -hmm. i think now with the advent of digital recording and people you know being able to have all that technology at their home right. people do have like a certain you know uh foundational like knowledge. knowledge yeah, yeah yeah exactly but then depending on your own practice um you know i've been really involved with computers and recording on computers for since it became pretty much possible mm -hmm. i mean after midi and after all the kind of like atari sequencing stuff once it actually started going into the realm of audio i've been kind of working with it so to me it's a pretty normal thing and also because of the kind of work i do these kind of constructed fixed media pieces uh, and manipulating sound in different ways. I've, I've been very tied to developments in computers and right. software and stuff. So to me, it's like, it's a very big part of my practice. Right. You know, so. In a way though, for people who that are hiring you on, if that's an expectation that you have to set up in their theater uh, yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, usually that's. That's kind of like a bonus for them that they kind of hire like a two-in-one kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I think, I, I suppose you could look at it that way. And it, and it is true. 
because just again, trying to up your value. No, your it's dad. true. It's true. It it is a useful thing, uh, but also I feel like the technical. This happens in sound art too. Like if I'm making a piece for a gallery or something or an installation, right? The the dissemination of the sound itself is a huge part of the gesture of the sound. Right. Right. So for me, it's important that I have those skills because then I can just, it like sees it through. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah, it's part of the process of making the piece. Mm -hmm. And in theater, it's part of the, it's part of the process of putting sound inside a play. Right. Is, making those decisions and being able to have control over those decisions. I mean, technically, when I'm in a union house, I'm not supposed to make those changes. I'm right. supposed to say, hey, can you make that sound go from this speaker to that speaker over six seconds? <clears throat> but usually the tech, the technicians are quite understanding about, you know, uh, the sound designer's desire and need to do those things himself mm. or herself. Uh, because it's just part of the process of creating. Yeah, and my experience with tech people mm -hmm. is as long as you know what you're talking about, they're pretty yeah. good about. It. Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's, it's when you just... walk in with like no idea. Yeah, then they're kind of like, all right, mm, okay. get out of the way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think you know, there's a there's usually a, a, a mutual respect for things. It's like any work environment. You know, you mm -hmm. treat each other respectfully, and you're. You know, you're good to go. You're good to go, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. I think we're kind of opposite in that way then in terms of creation because the the way that you talk about coming in kind of mid-rehearsal process, mm -hmm. even when I was working with Peter, mm -hmm. where we met, mm -hmm. um, coming in kind of like halfway through the creative process, mm -hmm. they, like they had already done two years of work yeah. on that project before yeah. I came in to like just help out at rehearsals. Right. I felt like I was missing so much. Yeah. But you like, and so, yeah, it's like almost opposite that I want to be there from the beginning. Right. And then almost those ending decisions, like the icing on it in terms of like how the sound works mm -hmm. or like, I'm okay with passing the lighting off to someone else. Yeah. I'm okay with like letting someone else make those decisions, mm -hmm. but it's almost the opposite how you can come in yeah. halfway and you just want to see it through to the end. Which well, is I think for me, it's, uh, it's in theater anyway, there's so many it's like that script I was talking about, right? It's a completely blank canvas, mm -hmm. right? And the, the potential and the possibility is just completely open mm -hmm. at the beginning. And to me, as a sound designer, I'm participating in the telling of a story, but really it's the director who's saying, this is the story we're going to tell. Right. And this is how we're going to do it. And in collaboration with everybody, all the actors in the room and the stage manager even, mm -hmm. uh, they figure out how to tell that story. So until they figure out what that story is, I can't really contribute. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I could. I could put my two cents in or whatever, but that's not really my role. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you're there to... I'm there, to, I'm there to help tell the story they want to tell. Right. And I'll have ideas about it that we'll have discussed beforehand with the director. Mm -hmm. And, you know, usually by the time... You know, by the time rehearsal starts, the director knows what he or she wants to do. They know where the play is taking place, how it's going to look, what it's going to feel like. Yeah. And so, you know, the, for me, that's kind of like, that's the work, really. Right. And the rest of it is all like, okay, how long is a sound cue and how does it fade out and whatever. Yeah. I like to have the world built before they start. And that's what me and the director do. And then, you know, I might make some wrong decisions about 
what that world is, mm-hmm. or maybe the director wants to do something else or whatever. But that world, ha- to, to me, has to be in place. Uh, so that's why I can leave them alone. Right. You know, and then maybe the world completely changes. Yeah. And then I have to scramble and figure it out, whatever, that's part of the cake. But, you know, certainly an overall kind of approach I'll have in mind. Mm-hmm. And now, after doing this so many years, uh, to me, that's the work. And the actual work of actually making the sound and doing the recordings and doing the mix or whatever, to me, that's just like, yeah, okay. No. Yeah, I'll do that. It's not, it's not a, done. it's not a thing for me. Right. The work is, what is it? What's the world? And what does the world sound like? And then once that's in place, I have, I'm, I'm not at all panicked about not being there or watching them figure it out Yeah. because I know what it sounds like. Right. That's the work. That's cool. Yeah. So yeah. it's more of like a, like an intellectual understanding or not even necessarily intellectual, mm-hmm. but it's like a more cognizant understanding of what they're trying to create. Yeah. And not saying like, oh, it needs to be this instrument or yeah, it needs to be whatever. Yeah. No, like you don't no. pick out those small details. No, it's not like, really. describe to me the landscape yeah, and yeah. I'll know how to yeah. create the sound within it. Yeah, exactly. I like yeah. Uh, and I think in general, for my compositions, that's generally been the case to have, to understand what the world is, what it sounds like what the choreographer or the director is thinking about for it. Mm-hmm. And and then, you know, I'll have at least a general idea. And sometimes I don't. That's happened before, too. I work a lot with one particular director, Alan. And sometimes it's kind of scary. It's almost scary. We'll meet. We'll have a 15-minute meeting on the phone you know, two weeks before rehearsal starts and I'll know right away. We'll both know right away what we want. Mm-hmm. And once or twice we've done a show and it's kind of like, I have no clue <laughs> what is going to happen here. Right. You know? Is uh, that exciting or is that just scary? It's both. It's <laughs> yeah. both. It's both. Uh, we <clears throat> did a show at the theater center called Small Axe. I guess it was last year. And uh, it was a show, a very complicated show. Especially now, given in the light of you know what we're talking about in the arts with diversity and and inclusion and stuff, mm-hmm. it was a play about uh, a young playwright, an actor uh, uh, who's queer and who does a lot of queer theater. He was doing a show with another gay man, and they were sharing a dressing room for a long time. And this gay man who's from Jamaica was telling him about coming out to his family and how difficult that was. And Andrew, the playwright, who's white, but who grew up in a very strict Ukrainian household, speaking Ukrainian, going to Ukrainian school, everything, was saying, oh my God, yes, that totally, I totally relate to what you're saying. I know exactly what you mean. And the guy was like, not really. Right. And it shocked him so much. He kind of realized like, oh, right. It's not the same yeah right mm-hmm. because of structures of power and north america and you know jamaica and the idea of homophobia in jamaica and black people being savages like all this stuff was happening mm-hmm. in his story both of their stories so he he does a lot of verbatim theater which is interviewing people 
and taking, transcribing very carefully what they say, including pauses and beats and ums and ahs and whatever, mm. and making theater out of it. So he went on this two-year process of talking to people of color and people from the West Indies, from Jamaica, uh, from Canada, and talking to them about homophobia and racism and the intersectionality of it. Right. And exploring his own place in that. As a white Ukrainian man? As a white man. Right. Yeah. Because we don't see that. We don't yeah. see the Ukrainianism, right? No, so he no, was kind don't. of like, oh, right, okay. And uh, so Alan, who I try, we've worked together a lot, and I trust him very much. Uh, but, you know, both Alan and Andrew are white. Mm-hmm. And they made this play. Right. And I was talking to the lighting designer, and she was saying, I was like, so what's the deal with this? I just run into her before I had talked to Alan. Because I really trust Alan implicitly. He's a, he's a really incredible man. But I ran into the lighting designer and she was like, have you any idea what they've been through? They've been doing workshops and have been like having open workshops mm-hmm. uh, at like Regent Park and yeah. Buddies in Bad Times and all this place. And she said, they've been basically yelled at for two years. Right. And the, the theater community is very polarized about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly the theater community of people of color. Yeah, of course. Very polarized about this play. Uh, I was like, oh, wow, okay, that's interesting. Because uh, when Alan told me about it, I was like, uh, I don't know. Because I didn't know Andrew's work that much. Right. I knew it was good. Mm-hmm. And then he sent me the script. And the draft that I read was basically half of the script, all the characters were yelling at Andrew. Why the fuck are you telling this story? What gives you the right? Whatever. And I was like, okay, if this is part of the draft, then I'm, I'm in. I'm yeah. on board. But, you know, it's verbatim theater, so it's, like, people speaking and respecting that. that's so that. interesting, because, yeah. like, so then they're giving consent for him to use that stuff? Yeah. You know, I mean, they all signed releases right. and stuff. So Everyone, he... Sign this piece of paper. Yeah. Okay, now I'll tell you what I'm doing, and you can yell at me. No, it's kind of the other way around, <laughs> right? right? right. So, so he so met yell all these at me people, and then, I... and then, you know, and then if you want, I can sign, just sign this release, whatever. Right. But, you know, the the... Because of the way the play came together and what it was, I was like, I don't want to tell people what to think. Yeah. I mean, that's generally a good rule in general in theater. Yeah. Is to not go... In like, life. Oh, here, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, here's the part where you're supposed to feel sad. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, that's not good practice, but even more so here. hmm right. To not obfuscate people's voices. That's the whole point. Mm-hmm. So what do I do, right? Where is the sound? What are we going to do? Like, I wrote all these, like, weird dub reggae things. This is Jamaica and sound systems. And then I was like, no, this is ass. I mean, I wrote a bunch of good songs, but (laughs) none of them worked. Right. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. And then I thought, what if they all had guitars, right? Prepared guitars. That we, you know, put clothespins in and sticks and stuff and they would play, they would have them and, you know, what if they all had guitars? What if they all had drum kits? You know, like, I just, I have no clue what to do. So can I interrupt? Who were, like, who were the people that were performing this piece? Because Andrew was making it, Andrew mm-hmm. and Alan, mm-hmm. two white dudes. Mm-hmm. But who, who were the people that were presenting the piece? All different uh, black and people of color actors, okay. yeah. And they all played multiple roles. Right. So it was the direction that was yeah. receiving this kind of like negative 
Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say negative. It was more like controversial. Was, yeah, it was the controversy of uh, of putting on the play. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, in the room, there was none of that. There right. was like definitely a feeling of you know real. This is so interesting to me because I think that for me, a lot of the time, I think of art reaching out to the regular person, right, or to like a general societal type right. thing, right. and trying to convey a message. But this is like very steeped in that like this community like mm-hmm. it's i mean often our shows are populated by our communities mm-hmm. but this was like it almost seems to be very very centered on it and like a, mm-hmm. a show for the community yeah to be thought-provoking to get them to think about it yeah i mean there was that but there was also like a uh it was put on at the theater center which is doing a lot of great work about yeah. that sort of stuff and the the audiences were very diverse. Mm-hmm. There were people from the community. There were people who were angry from the community. There were people who were supportive from the community. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Just and to get after, those people out. The great thing was, like, so the whole time, Andrew had a microphone. And he was saying his lines in the microphone and mm. interviewing people and whatever. And at the end, he has this kind of catharsis and he the microphone gets left. And after every show... Uh, we'd have a talk back and we'd take that microphone and we'd give it to the audience and they would pass it around and talk. Right. And there were no questions. They would just pass it around mm-hmm. and say what they were feeling. And it was amazing. It was totally amazing. And, uh, the thing that, the thing that triggers Andrew's catharsis in the play is, uh, uh, this particularly great character He's interviewing her and he's like, well, so what do you think we can do to help? Because she's talking about racism in the hom- in the homosexual community, in the community at large, in, you know, a lot the intersectionality of racism and, and homophobia. Right. And he asks her, well, what can we do to make Toronto more tolerant or a society more tolerant? She's like, don't fucking tolerate me. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be tolerated. Mm-hmm. I'm just me. And he's like, okay. <laughs> well, uh, then, you know, I can't remember what exactly he says, but then what should, what should I do? What can I do? Yeah. And she says, work on your own shit. Right. Yeah. Don't work on my shit, work on your own shit. So that's what triggers his thing. And, uh, almost always in the audience, you could see, you could hear people talk about that. Right. Like, yeah, man, I'm from Jamaica. I'm gay. I'm fucking tired of people assuming that I've always been beat on and, you know, threatened. My life has been threatened, you know, and there was a, it was very interesting because so I I myself, I suppose I sensed it, but I myself didn't realize how much of, uh, how much racism is involved in homophobia. Right. Right? Yeah. That just because I'm Jamaican doesn't mean that I fled my country because I'm gay. Right? You're telling me that my people are savages. Right? That's where that's coming from. Yeah. That kind of stereotype. Aha. Okay. Very interesting. And it was really cool because it was quite divided. There were people in the black community who were like, yeah, finally somebody's saying this. And there were people who were saying, uh, you failed. And there were people in the white community saying, I understand this now. 
I didn't get it before. Right. And there were people in the white community saying, I'm not a racist. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a very interesting experience. Yeah. For sure. And that that's one of the times where I was kind of like, what are we going to do with the sound? Yeah. What is going Yeah, you're happen? like, what the hell? How do what? I animate this world with a noise that's going to communicate exactly. something? Yeah. And, and also not... <clears throat> You know, it's all of the voices were all about being heard mm-hmm. and being openly heard as opposed to uh, the hearing being scripted. Mm-hmm. So and being filtered, almost like, like yeah. censored. Yeah. 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 Because when you say he's talking about this and this is how we're going to feel about it, you're censoring that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's the whole play is not about that. And. I, I don't know if this happened, but mm-hmm. if he did have his reaction, mm-hmm. so if she's like, you know, mm-hmm. don't mm-hmm. tolerate me, and you get that reaction of him being like, uh, oh, okay, mm-hmm. uh, then like, what next? Like, what happens after that? And you also get his kind of, it's you're almost capturing that learning too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very raw. Yeah. It's not, he's not even like he knows the answer and what's no. coming and like how to like no. snap back to that. Yeah, it's like, totally. I don't know what to say because yeah. I'm, tr- I'm trying to figure this out. The whole play was about him like going, I, it's about him, and it the process of making the play too is about him trying to understand mm-hmm. and not having any answers. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's that kind of guy. He's an open guy. He's, we he went out like I listened to the field recordings. Like he went out on Gay Pride and like talked to people, and they were like, "Who are you? Like, why are you what? What? Yeah, you know." And some people were like, "Yeah." yeah oh yeah it's horrible being gay in jamaica or whatever right you know like he got he he went out there he put himself on the line and i can really respect that so yeah i mean in the end we ended up doing i was gonna say what did you do for sound well i mean this (laughs) this is also what happens when you i think in general whenever i make a sound piece there's always some kind of secret that gets unlocked there's something that ends up being the seed for everything else and it's always something very small. It could be a word or a gesture or a piece of staging. But when, what happened in that play was that everybody was on scaffolds. Hmm. So the set was all scaffolds. Right. And uh, at one point, they were all up on the scaffolds. And they were working a scene. And one of the actors, in this, his character gets frustrated. And he's standing, and he shook the scaffold, and all of them shook. I was like, oh, okay, that's the seed right there. That's like, cool. That listening to that, mm-hmm. and that interconnectedness of all of everyone in his frustration. So, yeah, I mean, that was the, that was the seed that made me go, okay, you know what? I'm going to bring my drums. I'm going to wait till I'm gonna, like, everyone's going to go, and I'm going to record a whole bunch of like free jazz improvisations on the drum kit and I'm going to use that as my source material. Right. So that's what I did. Everybody left. It's like, you know, nine o'clock, whatever. I told the people in the office and I set up my drum kit and some microphones and started playing Mm -hmm. and started playing the scaffold, shaking them around, just like took a, made a whole bunch of improvisations and then just used that in different places. And it ended up being like we had a lot of cues and we ended up cutting lots of them, mm-hmm. like lots and lots. There was hardly any sound in the th- 
thing, which is what I suspected was going to happen. Anyway. Right. Well, when you have those really strong, powerful voices, it's like you don't want to drown that out with no. too much of something else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, but that was the seed. Like, I, I don't know yeah. what I was going to do till I heard that thing. Mm-hmm. And every time I'm in a process of making a piece, be it theater or radio art or uh, a sound uh, installation or something, there's always like something some little secret that shows itself mm-hmm. that I don't I don't even know what it would be right yeah. until you're there and you yeah. hear it yeah that's cool in the moment going back to the like the plot of their of the play mm-hmm. I definitely kind of relate I think with that as a white mm-hmm. straight woman who's especially I grew up in northern Ontario that had kind of not exactly but a 50-50 split between aboriginal people and white people mm-hmm. And then now I'm, I'm taking in a lot of different uh, news or media and media culture on things that are produced by gay people mm-hmm. or by like people of color or whatever mm-hmm. through like magazines and podcasts and like mm-hmm. articles. Just trying to because I think I anyway it might just be my experience, but I feel like I see more of it mm-hmm. and their voices are being elevated. And it's probably also because I've become closer with the arts community, Mm -hmm. which are telling these stories. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they talk about some, I I think there's really a big range, depending on who you listen to, there's a range of like the action that needs to happen for people, for less like racism and homophobic things to Uh take place. Uh And some people talk about like the role of allies. Some people don't talk about it at all. Some people talk about it a lot and how allies are like one of the most important Uh elements and that, you know, white people are the people who like have produced these prejudices. So like you need to be the one to fix it. You need to be the one to deal with it. And so I'm always looking for that role of like, Mm -hmm. how do you... How do you, like, support a community mm-hmm. without, like, distracting from them, mm-hmm. without making it, like, you know, about you? Because mm-hmm. that's what, you know, the mm-hmm. claim to white people is. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm trying to elevate you, or, like, I just want to be here to help, mm-hmm. but then I'm here, so it's about me. Yeah, yeah. You know? And it's, that's not yeah. what I... Yeah, There's, it's like, an interesting conundrum, right? Because, <laughs> I mean, it's not so much about white people. I think it's about white power structure. Right. Right? I mean, it's like being male, you know, I'm not, you know, the whole not all men thing totally misses the point. I, like when people were, uh, women were tweeting about the sexual harassment. Yeah. A lot of men were giving this hashtag not all men. Right. Right? But it's missing the point. It is. It isn't all men, but... We know that. We're, yeah, we know that, yeah. <laughs> particularly you guys, you know that. But we're in a power structure mm-hmm. in which this takes place and this is, this is happening because of the power structure. So without dismantling that power structure, it's not... Unless we start dismantling that, nothing's going to change. Right. Okay, so there's that. Okay. The second thing is... Uh, uh, I read this great quote by Chris Rock yesterday. He said, we have a black president. That's not black progress. That's yeah. white progress. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh my God, that's totally right. Yeah. That's exactly it. So that's the dismantling of these power structures. And right? like white people are happen. like proud of themselves. Like I've heard of people yeah. talking about it. I voted have, for him. We have a black president. Yeah. And I'm just like, man. That's yeah, like, that's, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> Super great. Uh, one of the other things he says. But it's kind of like interview. a checkbox. It's just like, yeah, got it. Check. Yeah. yeah. We're done. Yeah, we did our part. Yeah. 
Yeah. So now the dismantling of those power structures, I don't know what that looks like. Right. No clue. Mm -hmm. I don't think any of us know. Yeah. Because we've lived under this thing for so long. And, you know, I catch it all the time, like in myself, like, holy shit, I can't believe I just said, thought that. Right. Like, what a, ugh. I but, do that. I do that too. Yeah, like, oh, I'm sure we all do. Time. We all do. We're yeah. aware of people and we kind of go, we, we parse what we think. And... But the fact, I, I, I mean, I try not to make it all negative. I try mm-hmm. to, like, realize the fact that I caught myself mm-hmm. or in reflection, I was yeah. like, holy shit, that's, that was my assumption. Yeah. I'm like, that's wrong. Yeah. And, like, trying to, that's Talk part of the it. dismantling. Yeah. I think that's part of the process. But then you see these these actions like uh, Justin Trudeau making half of his office female. Yeah. It's like once that's another thing that's like applauded mm-hmm. to being like, oh, it's never mm-hmm. been done. That's mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. But is this is it just a trend? Is it just yeah? Is yeah. It, is that actually influencing? Yeah, I think it is. I think those those gestures are important, particularly when they come from people in power. Mm. You know, be they. Like heads of institutions, either cultural or political, you know, whatever color they are, those gestures are powerful mm-hmm. and they're, they're part of, uh, it's like learning how to write, right? I have my kid and she's learning how to write and right. read and whatever. And sometimes I'm kind of freaking out. It's like, oh, she can't spell friend, but it's IE and you know, it's like, uh, what's going to happen? But you know, like every small thing that you do. Like when you're learning an instrument too, right? Every small thing that you master, tiny little thing, mm-hmm. becomes part of this bigger thing. And next thing you know, that small thing becomes an integral part of this amazing thing that you can do now. Right. Right? It's a long process. Yeah. I see that people are frustrated. Canadian Stage just released their uh, season for next year. And they really bungled it, man. Like, all the directors are white, Mm. male. I went to Canadian stage last week for a show. Yeah. And it was the first time I'd ever been to the Blue Mappel Theater. And that was, like, the first thing I noticed. First of all, I, like, walked there. And the walk was, like, 40 minutes. So I bundled. So when I got there, I was not, like, theater ready. Right. But all of these people, all of these white old people got out of their cabs with their, like their plush like pea coats on and they look great and I like sat down in my seat and just looked around I was yeah. like this is wrong but you know what it's fine it's just that's that's <laughs> how they built their brand yeah. right totally fine like why not have them go see this stuff but they kind of messed up with how they built their 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 season and that's not been typical of Canadian, Canadian stage. stage. I mean, they've at least tried. They've tried. Right. They've, you know, points for trying, man, because yeah. it all becomes part of the whole. But they really dropped the ball. And then the company Did didn't really. Yeah, a lot of people did. A lot of the theater community called them out on it. And they kind of dropped the ball on how they handled all that as right. well. And, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot of frustration right now, I think, in general, around diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Those are two different things we have to remember. Diversity is diversity, but inclusion is something beyond diversity, right? There's, there's two steps to that process. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of complicated issues, right? It's, somebody was saying, my wife tweeted the other day, it was really good. Somebody was saying, oh, we have to have more diversity in the writer's room. And she tweeted, you know, diversity starts in daycare. That's where it starts. Yeah. So we got a long way to go. Mm-hmm. So I can understand the frustration and the impatience. I've had a pretty privileged upbringing. Mm-hmm. My dad was a professor. 
Yeah, I, I experienced a lot of racism in Winnipeg, and we had a very small community, and I didn't have a lot of support. I was the only brown person in my school forever. Right. Till high school. Yeah. So, you know, I felt a part, mm-hmm. but in general, I didn't deal with a lot of the concomitant issues that uh, people of color suffer. Yeah. Poverty you know, crime, like all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I didn't have that. So I feel pretty privileged and I've been able to develop my craft and my develop my skill because of that privileged upbringing. Mm-hmm. So I'm in a position where I can participate mm-hmm. in that community. Yeah. There are a lot of people who have great ideas and who don't, but who don't have not had the opportunity to have the skills and built and to be mentored and to have all those things. So because of that, this whole to be inclusive is going to take a long time. Yeah. You know? Mm. Especially at places like CanStage and whatever, right? It it takes a long time. I work at a company a lot called Soul Pepper and they just got a whole bunch of money and you know, I have to say they they've had a bad rap over the years because it's been like white straight male place. Mm-hmm. Glen Gary Glenn Ross and Long Day's Journey into Night and like all that stuff. But you know, they got together as a bunch of friends who were all white male and to interested in this set to create something. Yeah. Fine. The, they got a big grant and a lot of money from funders and stuff. And, you know, kudos to them because in their announcement, they actually said, you know, we've done a horrible job at this. Right. Because I was going to say, at some point, especially when you're getting grant money and then you're being elevated to mm-hmm. a status, like mm-hmm. I know Soul Pepper, like yeah. lots of, like it's, I think it's a pretty well-known name. Yeah, sure. Then... It's almost like that you have you have to see that responsibility because now exactly. you're not you're going beyond you creating for you and creating mm-hmm. making a name and like becoming a more established artist mm-hmm. and then once you're there it's like you have a responsibility I think, yeah, yeah. You, your focus needs to shift yeah yeah work on those things yeah especially if they came up during the time that they did you know now I think it's more part of the conversation and that 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 diversity and inclusion can be part of you building yourself yeah to be established yeah like part of your right base because we've kind of realized that now i think at the time when these companies were becoming more established that was not part of the conversation right but yeah it's a big part of the responsibility and you know now a lot of canada council operating funding is now linked to yeah diversity in your audience and on stage and behind the scenes whatever Mm -hmm. which i think is great Mm mm-hmm it's kind of a top-down thing. It's kind of like Trudeau appointing half of his yeah. uh, cabinet and as I'm like really totally super okay smart, fucking capable, yeah. strong, opinionated women. Yeah. It's not just because they're women. No. They're way more qualified than I am. Yeah. Sometimes people just need that kick in the pants to be like, this is the way it's going to be. Yeah. And once you set that, like people can adapt to it. I actually, a little like tangent, I always mm-hmm. think about that in terms of like, food in this country mm-hmm. like if there was a governmental decision that was like we're gonna like sell like the most amount of products that we can that are made in canada or like products that are good for you mm-hmm. like processed shit is just not going to be on the shelf anymore mm-hmm. if you did that you, then you don't have to worry about the consumer making that conscious choice they're just going to go to the store and buy what's there yeah and it'll be healthier things and we'll have a or healthier like society France, like uh, outlawing food waste yeah right just like nope you can't throw out food it's anymore. It's not a thing anymore. Not yeah. anything. Nope. Sometimes that decision does, like, if you just made it from the top, then, you know, people are going to adjust. They're, yeah. every, like, we're really resilient. Yeah. 
And that was that was part of the that was part of the conversation around Canadian stage and inclusion for other companies, whatever, to make that part of your thought process. Is that, you know, I I said on a Facebook post, I said, you know, yeah, it's important, Mm -hmm. it's super important, but I feel like it's going to take a long time. And somebody said, all you have to do is do it. Yeah. That's all you have to do. So that's the thing, because as we were talking before we started this, how I'm such like an impatient person, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like. Having an understanding that things are going to take a long time is okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. realizing that I, you know, am developing it as an artist, I'm totally okay with going through the process, but mm-hmm. I feel like I still need to take these steps to mm-hmm. get there, mm-hmm. to eventually arrive or mm-hmm. get there. So mm-hmm. then that still applies, I think, in this situation. Yeah, like, sure. Even though we have this concept of like, okay, it's not going to be perfect and beautiful and like completely yeah. equitable until this point. Yeah. What are those active steps that, yeah, we're taking? that we can take? Yeah. Yeah. And what can we integrate into our thought processes and our conversations and our and our uh, workflow mm-hmm. to make that happen? Yeah, totally. I think both are totally valid. Yeah. But you know, I I also don't think that the, I mean, it. Uh, yeah, take those steps. Make those make those decisions, make those things happen. But again, we're talking about a long process of dismantling Mm -hmm. many centuries of thinking about the world. Right. And thinking about different people. And that will take time. Yeah. You know, I I showed my little girl the Kendrick Lamar uh, Grammy thing that Mm -hmm. just happened. Yep. Holy cow. Like, I saw it, I was like shaking. I couldn't believe what... I was seeing right. on national television of the Academy Awards or Grammy Awards. And I was like, okay, I have to show Lena this. Mm. And she was like, why are they all wearing handcuffs? And I was like, wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> let's uh, just take it back a little bit. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, well, some people think that black men are scary. Yeah. Just because they're black. Mm-hmm. And she's like, that's weird. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> why is he talking so fast like, well it's it's kind of like poetry he's mm-hmm. got poetry and there's music and and she's like oh okay and then she saw then he goes to Africa right there's the big bonfire and the dancers and and she's like oh are they in Africa now I'm like yeah is he from Africa I said yeah a long time ago yeah it's kind of like how I'm from India I was born in Canada but I'm from India she's like oh okay and she had a lot of questions and, but I thought it was, it was a good thing to show her. But anyway, like my point is her questions were kind of like, oh, okay, great. Yeah. Can we watch, you know, get lucky now Yeah. or happy or whatever. Right. <laughs> right. But I showed it to her and I was like, oh, right. They really don't, this is not a genetic thing. Yeah. Right. This way of thinking about the world is not a genetic thing. It's something we impose. It's something that we buy into and something that we've had for many, many years. So changing that is going to take at least that many years, maybe Mm -hmm. more. Right. Maybe Lena's kids will have a perfectly inclusive world. I don't think so. Yeah. Because, again, intersectionality, it's, it's connected to capitalism and you know like a lot of different things it's a very complicated tangled mm-hmm. ball. and when you when i think about things even like um you know women getting the right to vote mm-hmm. or even legalizing 
like gay people being able to be married. Mm-hmm. Like that was that's super recent. Yeah. And really recent. I remember hearing I don't remember what comedian, but I remember hearing a comedian talk about people who are against gays in general. Right. In general. And, and <laughs> they're making the joke that like like you can't do that anymore. Like you must know you're on the losing side. Yeah. Like we're all like even if you don't really inherently agree with it in your mind and but now people are it's denying done. yeah, like people aren't voicing that anymore because like we're all moving there. And obviously yeah. there's parts of the world that haven't like gotten there quite yet. Yeah. And there's definitely individual people. I mean you see that in the States with I mean Donald Trump is just yeah, sure. being ridiculous. Yeah. But um yeah, it's like, you know, you're on the losing side of that argument. You can just give that up mm-hmm. now. And so I feel Focus like... Focus on something else. Yeah. Maybe. And it was the same way when, like, oh, women get the right to vote. It's like, I'm sure there was still a bunch of dudes out there yeah. who were just so against it. Yeah. But we have to change that or what? It's yeah. like, dude, it's too late. We're, we, like, everyone's got there. And the so process I, is in place. Yeah. And sure. I, so I feel like that's what it's... Maybe that's, like, a similar route to, mm-hmm. like, this kind of mm-hmm. acceptance and inclusion and that kind of stuff. Yeah. The, but, the conversation has started. Yeah. For sure. And, and it's not going to stop. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, again, being in this fairly privileged position of being included in the establishment and kind of like part of it, I understand that uh, it's going to happen. Yeah. And the stakes aren't as high for me. Mm-hmm. But the stakes are high for a lot of people. Yeah. So thinking about that then, because we've been talking about it in both. I feel like a social context of mm-hmm. like our political system and then also in theater and art. I always think about too like how much culture is connected to theater or mm-hmm. to art in general. Mm-hmm. Because as someone who's like very just like Canadian like has a very big mm-hmm. wash of anything that mm-hmm. would be my background. Mm-hmm. I don't have that kind of lens. Right. You know, like, I'm telling a story still and have a message. It's my personal story. It's based right. on my experiences, which is the same for everyone. But right. I don't have that lens of having those experiences related right. to a specific culture. Right. So I'm always just curious about people's opinion on that, on mm-hmm. art and culture and art without culture or yeah, just, like, yeah, that yeah. type of culture yeah. behind it. Well, I think when we talk about culture, I think we're talking a little bit about heritage, right? Mm-hmm. More of that yeah. than the kind of the way somebody who goes to Canadian stage might consider culture, right? Yeah, like culture, right? So we're talking <laughs> about, if we're talking about like a heritage, a, 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 a something, a kind of a, uh, I kind of look at it as a story or a myth that gets carried around with you that colors or is present in some way mm-hmm. in the gestures that you make whatever they might be you know it could be the habit of taking off your shoes when you go into somebody's house Mm -hmm. or it could be you know saying a quiet prayer before you start eating or it could be a story that you tell your kid but it's always kind of there that you carry it around with you and it's whether or not you know it it's there so yeah having that We all have it. We yeah. all have it. And I think heritage can also be, can, can be a, a cultural construct, quote unquote, and it can also be a social construct, right? So we have a Canadian culture. Oh, sorry, I bumped into you. You bumped into me and I say sorry, yeah. right? That's mm-hmm. part of my culture too. 
I really see it when I travel. It's like, wow, I'm super Canadian. Right. Right? Yeah. Um, so I have these kind of two parallel... Somebody wrote, a friend of mine, he's an academic, and he plays a lot with language. Uh, he's very playful with language. And he, I was talking to him about something, and then he, we were emailing back and forth. And he wrote this thing, and he wrote this thing, and he said, it's like you're in between culture, but he spelled in between in slash between. Mm. And I was like, that's perfect. That is exactly what it is. Mm -hmm. I'm in between in slash between so I have this thing of drinking beer in the back lane in the winter in grade 9 with my friends right and I have this thing of going to Temple you know in Winnipeg yeah and I have this thing of going with my friends to a powwow you know like all these things I'm in between the, you know I had these friends but that wasn't my culture my culture was more about the the Hindu community that was growing when I was in Winnipeg was very small but growing and then I had my south Winnipeg you know playing outside 30 minus 30 building snow forts yeah so I had these two things and that that was always you know that that's for a long time I kept them very separate because I didn't know what how they combined in me and also just like the circumstances of my life. You know, I'd hang out with my friends and then on Sundays we'd go to temple or Thursday nights or whatever. Mm -hmm. And those were two separate worlds. As I became more interested in music, I mean, I played in a lot of bands when I was in Winnipeg and it was all like kind of weird experimental, I don't know what, <laughs> dancey chili peppers kind of thing, but weirder. Right. Uh, so I had a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And I played Dabla at the temple. Again, very different. Yeah, yeah. But as when I moved to Toronto, I kind of realized that, oh, I have this thing in me that I don't have to silence when I'm in the other world. Mm -hmm. You know? And those are the layerings that make people interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, they really make you unique to yeah. who you are. Yeah, yeah, totally. But it can definitely be conflicting because... Yeah, you want to fit in. Yeah. You want, and you know, and back in those days, I mean, you know, we didn't have the internet. We didn't mm -hmm. have, like, you know, it was very different. It was, you know, being Like hearing brown, stories and finding people that have similar experiences. Very hard, right? Yeah. And and certainly the the young people in my community were not in my neighborhood. Right. So this was a community that was outside of where I lived. Mm -hmm. So, and you know, and being different and being brown, I mean, it's always hard growing up, but it, it felt dangerous. Like, mm. and it kind of was. There was way more racism and overt kind of on the street and people pushing you around and calling you packy and all that stuff. Right. So, you know, you want to protect yourself from that. Very different now. Toronto is a very different place than Winnipeg growing up. Yeah. So, you know, great. Fantastic. I remember I went to go play a dance class at Kipling and Finch. Okay. So, pretty rough neighborhood. Yeah. You know, uh, and I was parking the car and unloading my drums behind the school. And there were five young men, all Tamil, smoking by the garbage bin. Uh, and I was like, oh, cool. It's like they're all brown and they're smoking. And they're all <laughs> chattering away in Tamil, right? right. And I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah. That's so great. Mm. Because I didn't get that yeah. growing up. I didn't have that 
support and that way of exploring myself. So <laughs> that's so interesting. It was fantastic. Like, that is awesome. You that is keep, so keep great. You just away. keep smoking. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. That's hilarious. Um, so coming to Toronto and also trying to find my way in the music world too, and kind of going, okay, what can I offer? Mm-hmm. Made me realize that oh, I can mix these two, two things together. Mm-hmm. They don't have to be in separate compartments. Um, that's a nice realization yeah it was a nice realization and uh, you know and also world music was starting to happen yeah you know so it was a very different kind of open time Uh, and as my uh, sound work progressed my solo work and stuff I kind of realized that oh this is this is an avenue for me to explore that Mm -hmm. like I didn't feel comfortable building an altar in my room right or wearing indian clothes that wasn't the thing yeah but this because i had art and because i had sound and because computers were developing and i was able to use them in a certain way it's like oh this is a way for me to look at this right i'd collected all these cassette recordings of india and and indonesia when i was traveling before i came to um toronto i was like i could do something with this i don't know what because I had no idea about radiophonic art or electroacoustic music. I didn't know anything about that. Mm-hmm. So, okay, well, I'm playing music and we're doing the folk festival circuit or whatever. And then one day I got really sick uh, and I was very tired. And I couldn't really do much and I just bought a guitar. I thought, okay, it's time to do something with these recordings. And yeah. I made a record. In like 10 days. Cool. I was like, oh, I'm going to... That's because <laughs> I had no work and yeah. I had nothing to do and I was poor and I couldn't do... I just... I couldn't... And I making could art is empowering. Like you're it like, was. oh, I feel like shit. I'm at home. But I can make art. I can yeah. spend my time being productive and making something. Yeah. It was totally empowering. So I made the record and I don't know what I was doing. I was somehow found about out about this organization new adventures in sound art based in toronto so i sent them the record mm-hmm. and they called me they were like who are you what are you doing what is this why haven't like, we heard of you before? yeah exactly i'm like i don't know i play the drums <laughs> and they opened up this whole they, they were like you got to check out what's going on and they opened up this whole world to me where i was like wow mm. this is what you can do yeah like i knew that you could but I didn't realize to what degree you could or what the community was doing. Yeah, that there are people doing There that. are people doing this. Yeah, it's not just an idea in my head. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And there's like things I can learn and see and, and filter and use to tell these stories. Mm-hmm. So that was very exciting to me. And that's where I kind of started to realize that so I can take form... And fill it up with content, mm-hmm. right? So this was a, a big realization for me. It always bothered me that I, you know, I play a little bit of tabla, but I'm not, it's a pretty vast tradition mm-hmm. in, South, in music from the subcontinent. So I knew enough to know that I didn't know anything. So I didn't feel comfortable saying that I play tabla or right. I play Indian music. But it always made me feel a bit sad. Right. Like I'm not contributing to my culture in Canada somehow. Yeah. And this was a way for me to go, oh, I can. I can be who I am and I can make art and I can participate in art that is connected to my heritage. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And it doesn't have to be what other people think it is. Right. It can be what I think it is because it's mine. Yeah, it is yours. Yeah. Personally. Yeah. Yeah. It's mine. It's my story. It's my uh, expression of what I understand this to be. Mm -hmm. And I kind of went through the same process, Mm -hmm. I think. uh, Oh, we in trouble? Mm. That's you. Holy. (laughs) All right. Well. Sorry about that. That's okay. So I kind of went through the same process with religion. Right. I was really interested in religion and spirituality. And I remember in Winnipeg being at the temple and looking at all these deities and realizing, oh, wait, these are all, I mean, you know, pretty superficial and obvious, but kind of really understanding viscerally that... Oh, you know what all these um, these deities are? They are they're me. Like they're all parts of ourselves, right? Yeah. Which, of course. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. They're projections of our own, you know, yearning for whatever. I don't know, whatever it is. Oh, okay. So this is a way for me to understand what I'm doing here. Mm-hmm. And so having gone through that, I think process, you know, when it came to creativity and art. That was, a, that was the same kind of process. Oh, right. this is a way I can project my content onto the form of what my heritage is. Right. Uh, so that was very interesting to me. And the other thing I realized is that I don't always have to do that. Yeah. yeah. I can choose when I do that. Yeah. Because, at least overtly, because it's this thing that I carry around. It's like meditation, right? You breathe... And you pay attention to the sensation going in and out of your nostrils. Where's that sensation if you're not aware of it? It's still there. Yeah. Right? It's still there. You can just choose to focus on it in the moment or not. Exactly. But it's it's still there. It's not going to go anywhere. It's still part of you. Mm -hmm. And that's that's what I realized. Like, oh, that's still part of me. The stories I tell when I play music, even if I'm playing Arab, traditional Arabic stuff, I'm still me yeah i'm not shutting it off whereas before when i was younger i thought oh i have to turn off that part and now i have to be this right no and they're both part of me clearly so that's beautiful i suppose it's like a volume knob Mm -hmm. really just what you want to access (sighs) i feel like we're just getting started yeah is that just me no i have to do a part two (laughs) i okay so at as I wrap up these conversations with people, I've been, I didn't, I did not prepare you for this at all, but okay. I've been, uh, requesting your requests for a couple of different things just to like okay. get some suggestions. So I've been asking people for a book recommendation, uh-huh. a music recommendation okay. of like a band, an artist, a track or whatever, right. a installation. Right. And then one other suggestion of anything at all. Okay. What do you got? Book. <clears throat> The Open Work by Umberto Eco. Uh, when I was kind of exploring music and sound, uh, my girlfriend at the time, she said, and I was kind of thinking like, I was telling her about this, like, I don't know, there's something, I'm playing music, but it feels so like I'm telling people things. I want to make things that are, that have meaning, but I don't, 
want to tell people what the meaning is or I don't remember I was trying to explain it in that way I didn't have that language right and she was like you have to read this book I was a big fan of Umberto Eco like all his novels mm-hmm. but he wrote this beautiful book called The Open Work which is you know full of ideas beautifully expressed that I think we all pretty much accept now about art and meaning and sign and semiotics and what uh what it means to have a work that's open. Right. To let other people in. To, to let other people discover themselves. In right. It. So that's a great book. I need that. Yeah. Sounds like I need that. It's super great. Uh, so that's a book. Music? Music. I always like, feel like I'm cheating or something when I ask musicians this. Because they're like, right. well, yeah. it's like anything, everything. Yeah, anything, everything. Probably... Yeah, well, I mean. But one, you only get one. I only get one. You know, it's funny because almost all the music that I've made has not come from musical inspiration. Right. That's fair. Yeah. So. And that's what I tell people. I'm like, it doesn't have to be your all-time favorite. No, sure. You can be like, hey, I heard this thing the other day. Right. Check it out. That was amazing. Uh, I know there are some records that I continually come back to, to make me realize the possibility of what what being creative is Mm -hmm. and I'm just thinking I I do usually message people ahead of time (laughs) that's okay this is totally my fault (laughs) let me just think though (laughs) there are a few that I just like I love You know what? I would say there's a series of three records by a German um, electronic music artist called Alvanoto. His mm. name is Karsten Nikolai. Really super minimal, almost brutal, his music. But he does these records with a piano player named Ryuchi Sakamoto. So Alvanoto, Ryuchi Sakamoto. They have three records Insen, Revep and something else I can't remember okay and they're just so delicate and beautiful the space around them and the the construction of the music itself uh, is just like it's so you know when I think about I want to make a piece of art I think about myself doing this somehow just like taking something and placing it carefully. And these records do that. Awesome. Yeah. So Ryuchi Sakamoto, Albanoto duets. Uh, what was the other one? Something. Something. <laughs> so the way something. I describe this to people, typically I'm like, it can be really anything. It can be like the best place you've toured. It could be the type of laundry detergent you use. It could right. be just like something in your life that you're like, this is an awesome this thing. This is awesome. And you need to have it in your life. Right. A really good winter jacket. Yeah, that's key. That is totally key. Yeah, and from uh, Winnipeg, you must just be conquering this Toronto. No, man. No. I lost my Winnipeg mojo. Oh, did it's you? It's all gone. Hmm. All gone. Yeah, so now, I mean, you know, Winnipeg's a dry cold. That is that is true. You can defend yourself. You Thunder Bay, right? You? Uh, Manitoulin, so Manitoulin. not quite as north okay. as Thunder Bay, but 
I mean, we're an island surrounded mm-hmm. by water, so that's, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, you, you, get, the you, you can't, you can, I can't defend myself against this cold. Somehow. It gets right through. Yeah, through it gets your, right through. through bones, yeah, yeah, but I just bought a, I was on tour, I went to Vancouver and, uh, you bought a good coat bought in Vancouver. A good coat in Vancouver. That's so funny because that, that's good for that weather. Oh, okay, that's you know? fair. That's because it was wet and cold, right. and I was just like constantly freezing. Right. So I bought like this double shell something at Winters. And, yeah, it's awesome. Good. Yeah, the boots I have right now are they're like Kodiaks, like they're those right. big winter boots, right. but they're lightweight. You pick them up, they're like nice. a pound. It's mine good. are mine weigh more than my kid. Yeah. Yeah. No, you gotta. I I don't know what brand this is, but you gotta. It's kind of it. good because. If I have to get somewhere, mm-hmm. I just kind of kick my feet out a couple of times, and then the momentum just carries me <laughs> to the bus stop. I don't even have to like think wheels. about walking. Yeah, it's good. That's fair. Yeah. Um, if people want to find your stuff, I know you have a SoundCloud. Yes, I do. But I think the best thing to do is to go to the main website, which is debsinha.com. Awesome. Yeah. And then they can listen to all your things. All the things. I'm, I'm assuming they can't find your, like your Winnipeg high school stuff because that's the stuff that like everyone wants to hear I assume so I mean who knows maybe somebody put it online I'll just have to do some Google investigation yeah some YouTube investigation well, yeah YouTube, YouTube was- mostly because yeah. uh, a lot of the the kind of uh, Winnipeg had an amazing music scene when I was playing and before too before I got involved there's some amazing bands like uh, Dub Rifles and The Leonard and like all these great great bands there's quite a fantastic scene and uh a lot of them are on youtube now that's cool yeah that's awesome <laughs> dub rifles on youtube dub rifles. dub rifles from winnipeg that sounds like a that fantastic sounds like a band, name. band yeah really great band cool yeah awesome well thanks so much for talking to me today no problem but thank you for asking me yeah we'll do it again sometime <clears throat> you, you bet part two uh and then i'm gonna try to find a track from your recommended artist to try to play us out so hopefully okay. we can jam to that okay sounds good cool thanks again bye-bye